Nadine Johns Alcock. I'm a salon owner and global head of education for Showpony Hair Extensions. And with my co-hosts, Stephanie Mason and Hayley Mears, at Cutting Through the Noise, we offer unique career perspectives that will deliver insights into salon ownership, business to business knowledge, marketing and digital content. Today, I'm joined by someone I truly admire as a creative stylist and a salon owner. You may have heard of this guy. So Adam Reed is a hairdressing industry icon, adored by beauty editors and celebrities. So welcome to our show, Adam. Welcome. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. So I would just like to share with our listeners, Adam, you and I met in person a few years ago at the GHD head office in Soho. And my memories of this day, well, I've got to say, they're actually pretty magical. To look at you, <laughs> to look at you, you're like a pretty solid fit hunk of a man. And maybe, can I say also, because I'm a petite woman, maybe a little bit intimidating in that you wear these super cool clothes and you've got tats all the way down to your fingertips and a cute little beanie. And yeah, I, I was, I've got to say, a little bit intimidated by you, but then I watched you touch hair and something truly magical did happen. I noticed a little, almost a spark come out of your fingers where I could see your connection, not only to the hair, but also to the human being standing there in front of you. Now, it might've been the golden light from the ring light, or it could have been her golden hair that made it seem so, so magical. But to me, you were really a hairdressing dream and an icon. So I want to dig a little bit deeper because I know there's a bit more to you than that. Yeah, a few years later down the track, you're about to come to Australia. Yep, and I most certainly am. <laughs> yeah, so super excited. You're launching something very exciting. Absolutely, before- and I cannot wait to get back to Australia. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I hope hope we get to catch up. Absolutely. Before we get to the super exciting part, I need to share with our listeners something super important that I know about you and perhaps they don't, about how there was, you know, all this magic at the end of your fingertips, this human connection, and then all of a sudden something happened and everything changed it seemed like maybe you lost connection with others and and you can share with us maybe even with yourself but I want to dig a little bit deeper in that to find out how you came out of that to end up in this really um, place of celebration now so is it okay if we start at the beginning of course it's okay a very good place to start okay so the beginning of Adam Reed. We might start though with Adam. How old are you now? I am 50 tomorrow. <gasps> really? Yes, I most certainly am. 
What an incredible milestone. I actually I'm didn't 50. know. And it's yeah. it's such a strange time. I think your birthday. A, a lot happens to me around my birthday, and there are huge career milestones all around February the 8th. But yes, I am 50 tomorrow. And what's quite amazing, I think on your birthday, you are able to really look back because you remember that day. It's one of the days in your life that you remember. And yeah, I am 50 years old, 50 years young tomorrow. Wonderful. Well, as you start to look back on this incredible life you've had, not only your career, but partnerships and family and friends and team and all the things that we're going to chat about, I'm really interested to hear, and I'm sure our listeners are too, that like, where did Adam Reid start? So where did you grow up? So I was born in East London and then quite quickly moved down to Somerset in the West Country. And that's where I was brought up. So I spent my sort of early years in a place called Watchit, which is a small seaside town in West Somerset. Beautiful, beautiful town. Um, that whole area is beautiful, actually. It's You've got Exmoor National Park, the Quantocks. You're close to Devon and Cornwall. So it was one of those sort of magical places. Um, so, yeah, it all started in Somerset and really from a hair perspective. You know, I'm one of those hairdressers. I was lucky uh, back in the 80s. You could, you know, from 13 years old, you could work um, part time jobs. And I started in a salon when I was 13. Um, and at the time, I also worked painting children's faces on butlins which is a sort of a really traditional holiday camp in the UK and in the evenings and weekends and holidays I would go and paint children's faces but I also worked in a hotel washing up dishes so I always knew um well no you know I didn't always know but I always had a real strong work ethic I love working I love the rewards that it gives I love the community spirit of a job I think you know you meet new people you share new experience so from that really early age work was never work to me if that makes sense I I really enjoyed it and it sounds like right from the beginning you were connected to people so touching people's faces is a pretty intimate place to be yeah. and especially with children so imagine painting faces and from what you hear what I'm hearing from you as well you love that connection to being oh. with people and also with nature so oh, absolutely start, yeah I can start to see Adam Reed forming already but let's go to that first day on the salon floor so you start your first day on the floor what are your hopes and dreams on that first day Oof, do you know, it's it's an interesting one. I, again, being at school in the 80s was a, a strange time. I was more creative. I definitely wasn't academic. And I had, you mentioned earlier, my outfits. I always sort of, uh, I always sort of identified or created my identity with my wardrobe. So at school, I struggled really. Um, you weren't supported creatively and actually if you weren't academic you were um, sort of put to the bottom of the pile really uh, I remember at school you had you know your brackets and it was all about how clever you were 
So A1 was the most clever. I was in B3, which was sort of way down. I think there was B3, B4, B5. Um, and you always had this feeling of you were never good enough. Uh, and I think that was set. You know, that's how schools were. So for me to want to be a hairdresser, I used to create on myself, on my sisters. Um, I used to cut my nan's doll's hair. She had these beautiful china dolls. So creativity was always there for me. But it was always the underdogs who were creative. Um but I never really was, I was never going to excel in anything else. Interestingly, in primary school, I was told, or my mum was told not to encourage me to do stuff with my hands. Um, and I was left-handed and told you weren't allowed to be left-handed. So when you think about those sort of things that are set, it's quite a tough thing. But actually for me, you know, going, I used to go and do work experience in salons or clothes shops because it was the fashion thing for me. I didn't really see a differential between hair and fashion. Um, and I saw community in those places. I was allowed to dress how I wanted. I remember I used to get paid 10 pounds a day and I was able to get my hair done. So I'd think up the craziest things to get my hair done. And then I'd go into school and they tell me I wasn't allowed to have my hair like that which I never really understood because at school you were encouraged to dress and behave like you were at work and I was like yeah but I've I'm working unlike a lot of people and I've got a guaranteed job they've already guaranteed my job it's where I went on to do my apprenticeship interestingly here it's it's national apprenticeship week and I'm a big big supporter of apprenticeships because it's it's what gives you your craft and the the, the foundations um but what I really loved was the salon was called something else after the sex pistol song so you can sort of imagine the characters there and I just yeah. felt part of that they were my community it was sort of your vibe your tribe and I felt at home and comfortable and supported so from an early age, I knew that the hair community was going to serve me well. But I also knew that I had to work really hard to achieve the goals that I had, which were I never, ever wanted. What I wanted to do was be appreciated for what I did. I, I'm not fame hungry, really. I, I, I'm quite egoless. And I think that comes from the way that I was treated at school. Um having an ego wasn't really something that came with being bullied, if that makes sense. I, I was quite a nervous child when I was in that situation. But yeah. I always wanted to be a creator and sort of be known for my creations. Um, yeah. That was my goal, I, really. I can see that with you, that the way that you dress is a form of communication, for sure, yeah. about who you are and what tribe you and belong it's armor, to. armour, I think, you know, when... It, when you dress a little bit out there or not how everybody else dresses, I think society has a lot to answer for in general. I think it is these sort of rules set by society are really unfair and, and hard to follow. But, you know, dressing is, it's, it's a way of, you know, it is your armour really. People can say what they want about your clothes and by the time they've got to you, they've, they're normally bored. So actually, but I love clothes. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I can see how you would use your clothing as protective armor against yeah. people 
who maybe aren't showing you love. But yeah. I can also see how you would use it as a signal for the people who you want to be with and you want to be part of the tribe and you want to show them love. So it can kind of go both ways in yeah. form communication. But I think as you grow, you really see. I think when, you know, when I was at school, when I was between 13 and 16, I I thought that's how life would be forever. Yeah. And, you know, that's a hard weight. Uh, that's a, t uh, a heavy weight to carry, really. But, uh, you know, you suddenly realise that you go, you go out into this big wide world and people accept you for who you are. And there's something amazing about that. And there's something amazing about the fashion community that just accepts that and takes it and you run with it yeah and I can see how hairdressing really has helped you to find that love and find that connection and yeah. how important then was moving away to find connection outside of that area of London well do you know that was so, so Somerset where I was brought up that's about three and a half hours away from London but having been born in London I always knew London was where I needed to be. And again, remember back then, we didn't have phones. We didn't have cameras with us the whole time, although I carried a camera with me. Um, you you sort of had to get to where the work was, and I knew that was London. And then the, the wider world, you know, we. It, I remember my first ever trip and thinking, I can't believe that I'm, you know, this was brought up down in this tiny village in Somerset and I'm getting to travel, start to travel. You, you needed at that time to be in London, but London was like a battery charger for somebody like me. You could be anonymous, even in your, in your own little world, you know, you could walk out of your work at the end of the day and you could be quite anonymous. There's a real pro and con to that, but I really felt at home in London and I felt it was a really exciting time. So I, I moved, and again, we chatted about my birthday earlier. I started my job at Charles Worthington on February the 8th, 1995. Wow, I just got so chills. On, on my birthday. <laughs> so it was 28 years ago tomorrow I moved to London. And really it was a game changer for me. It was... It was like living a dream. Uh, I, I did. I didn't realize then. And when you again, you know, when you look in hindsight, mental health wasn't talked about then. But I struggled with ill mental health even then. And yeah. now I'm beginning to learn about it. I realized that I struggled. And what that gave me then was this drive to succeed, which meant I worked way too hard and burnt out and was scared that if I didn't do it somebody else would do it um and actually now when I look back on that I not that I regret anything because I don't you don't know any different but it was it was hard it was really hard both physically and mentally and you want to be social and you want to be everybody but I still had this ill mental health in the back of my mind interestingly there of course, that gives you a little bit of a drive, but it also makes you quite vulnerable. And I think there was an element of vulnerability then that both drove me and hindered me. Yeah, and I can understand. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't understand you and your story, but 
I can understand in talking to hairdressers all over the world that for many of us, you know, we start in circumstances that don't quite fit the mould. Yes. And, you know, we feel this need to prove who we are and what we can achieve. And so the path to working really hard and burning out is it's kind of a familiar story, right? Uh, and Absolutely. And do you know what? It was never talked about. It was actually if you showed any sign of what was considered weakness, you actually, you know, it was a, it was a negative. Uh, mm -hmm. It wasn't supported. It wasn't helped. It was sort of like, well, actually, if you can't do it, somebody else will do it. Yeah, so yeah. that's um, there's been a massive shift in the last sort of ten years with regards to that. But you know that was a, a bitter swill to bitter pill to swallow because yeah. you lived on this, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, working every hour God sent. A lot of the I would say you know a good fifty percent of the time for no money. Yes, you yeah. do it for the love. You do it for the art. You do it for the creativity. And, you know, but then I was working with people like Isabella Blow and Sophie Dahl and Alexander McQueen. When you look at that, you are like, well, I wouldn't have had that stuff. Somebody else absolutely would have taken it. Yeah, Those yeah. Ones with everything, but um, no regrets there. Well, that's good that you don't regret it, but also good that you can look back and identify the things that you did for love. Because absolutely. that's hairdressers and people, people, that is often why we do what we do, right? We do it to have someone yep. leap up out of the chair after 45 minutes and wrap their arms around us and give us the love that we may or may not have been able to find in other ways. It's it's what it's, really keeps it's us so going. It's so true. And do you know what's really interesting about it is you are, we are like, we not that you look for adoration, but it's that charging, it's that validation. Um, and again, when you think back then, when there was no social media, you would do the hair. You know, even think about Fashion Week. I started Fashion Week in 96 and you would do a show, you would do all of the work that went into it. Then you wouldn't see it for six months and you really wouldn't see it because the pictures were taken by photographers that were hired by magazines and it was a real surprise six months later I used to absolutely I used to go to Frank's in Soho the bookshop and as I knew the magazines were coming out I'd start to buy them and then if you saw your work in it it was an it was an amazing achievement because it was such a small amount of space for people to um see that stuff and an incredible amount of work that's gone into it, right? And, yeah. And a lot of sacrifice, a lot of time away from family and friends. Yeah, working, you know, I remember shows used to start at five o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'd have to leave at three to get to them. And then we'd finish the show and go straight to work and then work yeah. a full shift. Because if we had done a show, you did a full shift. You didn't go back in halfway through your shift and carry on. You still yeah. needed to make the money for the salon. And it was like that that in itself is exhausting. Um, it's a lot. But your adrenaline was so high, managing the ups and downs, it was really and, and do you know what? We still have to do it now. And I don't envy younger hairdressers with social media, because actually one of my big things is never being scared to create. Of course, I can do, you know, some of my first shows, it was simple, beautiful hair then some of them were way out there. And then I may do a colour trophy show for L'Oreal and it would be mad and it would be like, 
my imagination going wild and then I'd be back doing hair where you know that was beautiful everyday hair that, that, that you've got to balance all of that yeah so yeah those ups and downs the time that you had then at that salon eventually came to an end and can you share with us kind of what happened there and what happened next well, interestingly, I went to, so Charles Worthington, I was there for a long time and did my formative years. It was amazing. In 2003, again, on my birthday, I moved to New York. So I set up their New York uh, salon in Soho and I was there for two years. When I came back, I was at a real crossroads, but I was also, my mental health was really bad. I had had a of a light bulb moment in New York where I realized I had addiction problems um well I couldn't regulate so I was drinking way too much I was exhausted mentally and physically and I had split up with my partner at the time and now I look back I was in a really bad place but I left there Charles Worthington and we set up Percy and Reed and so that was 2000 and again, really interestingly, 2008, five years after moving to New York, I went, left Charles Worthington and we opened Percy and Reed. So that was exactly the same timing. I don't know if there's something set out for me that says most things are going to happen around February. Um, but yeah, Percy and Reed was an amazing journey. I... I wanted to do something different. I wanted to go back to Roots, Salon Roots. We wanted to create an amazing creative space. Um, and interestingly there, my profile elevated and I, I got requested for the X Factor in the UK by Simon Cowell, which at the time, obviously I took um, and, and went with it. Um, and then I was being asked, I, I you know, I was... One of my best friends is Henry Holland. So we were doing the House of Holland shows with Agnes. And, you know, it was a really cool Britannia time again. So 95, when I moved to London, was very cool Britannia. Um, then 2008, when we set up Percy and Reed, was that real resurgence of Brit cool. And we seemed to really be in the centre of that. But also at that time, I was getting requests to work for you become an ambassador for GHD to become an ambassador for L'Oreal Professionnel. I was working with Diane Kruger and a group of actresses that got me traveling all over the world doing junkets which again just doesn't happen now and that time was really exciting I think for her um, but that was for me the time that I was really sick and again I just went with it. So what was happening? What uh, There was a real um, pattern that I would get really ill mentally uh something good would happen and I'd ride the wave of the good which would cause burnout and illness to self-perpetuate and interestingly that's when I really started to learn about my own mental health and the fact that as a creative sometimes they go hand in hand but mm -hmm. my my mission then was to actually start to really talk about it I I gave up alcohol um now what's interesting and I talk about this a lot and I think it will have a massive amount of relevance I think that I always knew that I wasn't well 
and I would, I think a part of my slight anti-society thing, I'd go out looking for magic basically. So I'd go to try to find things that would help me manage my mental health. I, I wasn't really nervous anymore of being myself being Adam like being a little bit of a loon and um and, and and I've always celebrated my lunacy because I do believe my lunacy and my mental health are two different things I think my lunacy is my character um, yes but do you know what always was my anchor was my career I I just seemed to I do what I love doing I've always tried not to do what everybody else does because I don't like the sheep mentality and that's where I think social media has a tendency to encourage, uh, it's what an algorithm is, isn't it? It encourages the same. And I think that's really dangerous, really dangerous. Um, what I tried to do, whatever I was doing, was add my element of individuality. But as I said, that was when I really started to sort of walk down a different path where I wanted to look after my mental health. And I think you look at many creatives, I know a lot suffer from ADHD, a lot suffer from depression and anxiety. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't get any type of uh, diagnosis until last year, but mm -hmm. because I was really scared about the diagnosis, I was like, do I want to open that can of worms? Because I also was like, God, what if it removes my creativity? My creativity is what I've got. It's my special thing and I was really scared that if I got rid of my Ill, Ill mental health my creativity would go and that was really worrying for me what that did though was that made some of my relationships quite fractious because I struggled communicating I struggled seeing this stuff I was nervous that if I opened up about my mental health I'd get dropped left, right and centre because I and I remember a client, a very close client of me saying when I did start to talk about it, make a, a bigger thing of it. One of my clients said, do the brands that you work with not mind you talking about that? Are they not concerned? And I said, it's that was always one of my concerns. But actually, if I had a broken leg, nobody would worry about it other than helping me. Why if my yeah. mental health is is off kilter, would they not help? Um, and it was a bit of a game changer for me that time. So we talked about how, you know, the salons and the work and the uh, ambassadorships and all the things that you've got going on. And there's a lot, a lot for anyone, let alone someone who's struggling at the time. But how that creativity and drive somehow helped you and you rode the wave. But were there people around you at that time that helped you as well, other than other than the clients? Well, How did was there anyone special in your life along the way? Well, or? do you know them? So that was two thousand and eight. I have a, my best friend who now manages the business side of things. She was always there. Um, as I said, I gave up alcohol. I've recently found out in my diagnosis that actually I probably didn't have a drinking problem. I just didn't have a switch off button. I would yeah. never start drinking again, but they, 
when I had an ADHD diagnosis, you often self-medicate with alcohol, the sugar, the the high, the low, all of those things can help to balance. Also, because I suffer from social anxiety, having a drink let my guard down, I then didn't have a switch off button and that was a big issue. Um, I then... So who so, helped you in, in that time, Adam? Who well, was do you know, support? then it was sort of, I didn't really talk to many people. Carolyn Newman has always, Carolyn Newman, I met the first day I started at Charles Worthington and she's always been an incredible support. Zoe Irwin has always been an incredible support as a friend. Um, Sophie Dahl, one of my clients, but also hairdresser, she was an incredible support. Then I met my husband. And interestingly, this that was a really interesting time. So I, anyone that knows me knows that I love dogs and I am an ambassador for a rescue program here, Underdog International. And uh, and these, these, these stories are really important to how things changed. I rescued a dog from... Cyprus. I was single. I had resided myself to the fact that I probably wouldn't meet anybody because I didn't really want to go online. I found the ghosting element of online dating tough. It, it, my mental health wouldn't take that. That sort of somebody there for you and then all of a sudden they're not. I didn't like that. Um, and then one day I was walking Laika, who I'd rescued, who was really nervous, in Abney Park Cemetery, which is a beautiful wildlife retreat, um, wildlife reserve in Stoke Newington. It's an old cemetery. It's incredible. And I would take Laika there because it was there were lots of windy paths, so she wouldn't yeah. be nervous and frightened. And one day, uh, Kenny, my husband, my now husband, was walking his dog, and Laika and his dog got on. So that started our conversation and it's proper old fashioned stuff. We saw each other a couple more times in exactly the same circumstances. And I sort of got the courage to ask him out on a date and we caught it. We properly caught it. We dated. I took him down to Dungeness, which is one of my favorite places in the UK. We went for drives, we went for walks, we met for dinner. And I was very honest about the fact I just said I was teetotal, I didn't drink. And things he changed liked. massively then. Be oh, sorry. He liked you. He liked. He liked you anyway. Any absolutely. And do you know what? We had things in common enough to start a relationship, and then we had enough not in common that there was that interest there. Mm. I at that time was really open about my mental health, and he was interested more so that he could how he worked how he reacted around me yes, and do yes. you know what it was just really special he loved the creativity of my work he was a, a pediatric nurse at the time so he's now my assistant he books all of my there's, a, there's another whole thing happened uh, in lockdown but he now sort of helps me run my diary because I don't have any boundaries. So him and Michelle, my best friend, set all my boundaries. I have an amazing lawyer who came in. She, she works with me on setting my boundaries. But Kenny was a game changer. And interestingly, I remember I was doing one of our breast cancer campaigns for GHD. And the morning that I was going to shoot it, that was always one of my really special campaigns because it had such a beautiful meaning behind it. And I, <laughs> excuse me, I 
thought I'm going to propose. So what I did was I had a beautiful card on my leg. I've got it was I've got it tattooed. Kenny's got it tattooed and I've got it tattooed. But it was a beautiful illustration of two peas in a pod. And I wrote in the card. And again, he understood me well enough to understand this request. I wrote in the card. I said, I think uh, I've been thinking perhaps we should get married. And if it's a yes, I don't want a big deal. I don't want to have to talk about it. <laughs> my mental health wouldn't manage that very well at all no, I don't no. like being center of attention I don't like any of that stuff um and he texts me and said oh yeah the answer is yes and I remember being on the shoot and I just thought it was so special and we had a beautiful wedding we got married in Hackney Town Hall where I my birth was registered actually we were in the church and everybody walked in I couldn't walk in so we went and sat there and people came in and then we had a picnic on London fields just for special friends. And and do you know what? It was one of those days that was truly magical just because it was utterly us. There was no major planning. It was just a beautiful day. And the day before we had found out that we had been accepted to start an adoption journey. So it was all really special timing. Very exciting. So it yeah. sounds like, you know, from here on in, it sounds like Adam and Kenny wander off into the sunset and everything's amazing. <laughs> All the magic happens. I wish. You had, <laughs> you had some hopes and dreams together of, you know, what you were going to achieve and then some big stuff happened in the world, right? Yeah, so it really to, did. <laughs> you want to share with us what happened? Absolutely. Oh, so, well, do you know what? My hopes and dreams are still happening, really. Um, they've, <laughs> they've just been some hurdles in the way. But again, I think one of the things that I've learned over the last probably three or four years is these things are sent to try us. And actually, like any race, you've got to take the hurdles. And we I decided for my mental health uh, that I wanted to exit Percy and Reed. Um, I wanted to do something different and it was the right time for me to do it. Um, so it, in June 2019, I started the process of exiting Percy and Reed. We decided to set up Adam Reed London. And I wanted to keep it a little smaller and um, build the team and do something a little more personal, really. Um, and like any relationship, I just think we had grown apart. Um, and I knew that I still had time to make a, make a, something different. So February 2020, I on today, so it was three years ago today, I opened Adam Reed London. And that day wow. I was shooting for House of Holland. I, it was a day before my birthday, and I remember we had a right laugh on the shoot. Um, and that day, my assistant at the time, who was over assisting uh, Sam at night in Italy, I think it was, for Fashion Week, messaged and said that they had all been told to start wearing masks. And we had mm -hmm. heard about Corona and what have you. Um, but as with most of the world, I don't think we knew what was going to happen we didn't take it as seriously well we weren't being guided properly so we then shut our doors and interestingly 
I had literally just opened the salon. I, in my exit and between exiting and opening, I, I had used what money I had to open here and then we shut. And my mental health took the worst dive ever. Um, like it was, I found it petrifying. I, I found not only shutting a business petrifying, but I found the way that the world was changing from a personal level. Lockdown for me was one of my most painful times. I found being in London really difficult because you knew that there were people everywhere. You were just told you couldn't see them. And then in the May, we were really struggling from a business perspective because I hadn't been open long enough and it, things were taking a lot longer. We couldn't find the support. When I say support, this was advice. We were ringing our local council as an industry and a community in London. We were working really closely together to work out how we sort of work our way through this and how we keep our businesses going. And that day, Kenny and Riley, so we, ad we adopted Riley, um, mm. they, they had gone to play in the park and I was learning to cycle again. So when I moved to London, I bought my bike up to London and, and had been really put off of cycling. It was so dangerous in London. I thought, I'm going to use this time to cycle. So I went out for a bike ride, got home. I was obsessed with the five o'clock report and I, that day I got what's called disassociative amnesia so I lost my mind so everything had got too much and Kelly took me to the hospital and I had no memory and that was a real game-changing time for me because number one it was my mental health really telling me enough is enough but also it sort of showed the severity of what the world was going through and what individuals were facing and Again, I, I fully believe that the mental health implication of the pandemic is not being talked about and was not taken seriously enough. They focused on the facts that they were getting about a virus, but not looking. And again, it's exactly that whole thing like I was talking at school about at school. They'll focus on one thing and forget every the disaster. So it's like focusing on the point of a hurricane but not taking into consideration the mess that's going on. And I think for creatives, number one, we weren't supported financially. We weren't supported with advice. We weren't, and again, I don't believe anybody was properly supported, but I think as, an, as a sector, we were totally and utterly brushed aside. And I think that the implications were huge. Um, so we went in and out of lockdowns. We went in and out of not knowing if we would be able to keep our businesses going. We, you know, I was I was so supported by the brands that I work with, L'Oreal, with the British Beauty Council. I have my amazing group of hairdresser friends. We had groups. We had, you know, we were all communicating. But when you're isolated, that communication can literally just go into the air and be left. And when you come mm. off of the phone to those people and you're locked down, it's it's the destruction is it's unbelievable. And to put that right is going to take years. So my feeling 
I had decided I wouldn't do another product range. I, you know, I'm a, I am quite an entrepreneurial spirited person because I don't really know about the business side of stuff. My, my, mine comes from my imagination and my creativity. And I'd always said, I, you know, I love product. I love innovation. I love formulation. I love creating brands. It's something that I find so exciting. Um, I then realized that actually we have a bigger role to play in the bigger picture of people feeling good and people feeling positive. And actually, we can do that. It's It would be easy for me to stand and go, well, I'm not getting the support. You know, I, I don't have this community to help me support me within my mental health journey. So let's start to create one. Because salon spaces are safe spaces. Salon spaces can't be put into a computer. We can't do this from home. We can't work from home. You know, we are a community of people that support each other. Um, and my goal switched then to encourage that creativity. And we've spoken a lot about mental health. Feeling good and feeling positive, even if you don't struggle from ill mental health, is important. Um, and it's something that you need to get your day to go by. And interestingly, it's something, you know, I see my clients who don't have any interest in creative industries. They want to know what's going on. They want that little fix of creativity. And that's what I've called head care. And that's looking after your head, whether you have ill mental health or not. Caring for your head is key. If my head isn't in a good place, everything else is screwed. It really is. No amount of self-care works. No amount of self-care has the longevity to get me through. But if I'm looking after my head, caring for my head, I'm in a better place. And one of the things, as I was coming out of this episode, my son wanted to wash my hair. And he ran me a bath and he put my favourite bubble bath in and he put everything there. And I was like, Do you know what? Washing your hair is a form of no. head care. It is. And do you know what? It isn't about the blow dry that you do after. It isn't about the style that you create. Of course, that's important. But if on that one day you feel so low, there's something amazing about washing your hair with something that smells nice. There's something amazing about brushing your teeth putting some deodorant on, putting some fragrance on. All of those things make a huge difference. And I was like, let's start encouraging this and celebrating it. And, you know, fragrance is it's a huge passion of mine. But you, you smell something that has memories attached to it. It'll instantly put a smile on your face. If you've washed your hair and you go out and all your hair, all it is is clean, you can feel better and your head feels better and you can start to then care for yourself. And that's a big thing for me. It really works for me. It's what I've done my whole life. I've done it just because that's me. Um, and do you know what? Sometimes making somebody smile, allowing somebody to cry. I've got clients that have come and sat with me and they've got really upset in my chair and they've said after, thank you for just letting me do that. I've not tried to hide it. I've not tried to shame them. I'm like, oh, you get your tears out. It's fine. Actually crying, you know, as children, crying is a warning. We're then told to dull that. Stop crying. Don't cry. Don't do this. You're crying for a reason. If you need to cry, cry. If you need to laugh hysterically and then burst out crying, 
do it. That's head care. There is obviously something in there that needs to come out. Mm. Um, and that's my real big belief. And I think as hairdressers and beauty therapists and barbers, we have this amazing opportunity to build this community of head care takers. And that's my goal now. And interestingly, five years ago, I honestly was like, God, I've got to a point where I'm entering my twilight years of my work. And I was really down on myself. I'm really seeing, especially tomorrow, as a time for me to rebirth and start all over again with something really different, but something that comes from my foundation of making people feel good about themselves. Wonderful. Well, you've shared certainly- I told you I can talk too much. <laughs> I love it. And I love how you've shared with me and also our listeners, the truly give and take relationship that we have as hairdressers, right? So yes, Absolutely. we're to our clients and making them feel better. But I don't know that all of them understand just how important they are to us and, and our mental health as well. So thank so you so true. much. So true. It's so true. And I just have one last question to leave you with, Adam, if that's okay. Do any of, of your new smell like the forest? So I have decorated woods, which is for English forest bathing. I have three fragrance, four fragrances, Future Bloom, a beautiful genderful floral. It's got a little bit of vanilla in there, uh, English rose, lily of the valley. No one Elsie, named after my grandmother, Elsie. And that's our greenhouse when I was young. So that's rhubarb, tomato, blackcurrant, palo santo. We have decorated woods. That's where Riley and I go forest bathing. So we go and sit and ground ourselves in the forest. It's English oak, uh, moss, cedar. And then a kind of floral is the smell that my nan used to leave on me when she gave me a cuddle when I left her. And I used to go away smelling that smell and it made me feel safe. But decorated woods is the most beautiful woody green. Beautiful. I can't wait to smell them. And thank you so much for sharing all of the ways that you have over the years connected with people. I'm sorry to hear about that moment where the disconnection was lost, but we're super glad to have you back. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you.